can resonate with like, there is other stuff going on, you know, and it's not necessarily about the alcohol, it's how we're dealing with it. And we're not dealing with all this other stuff. So when you deal with everything else underneath, that's how you start to polish your being. Welcome to Somatic Digest, the podcast, the place you come to find love, joy, and acceptance in your body. I'm your host, Kim, a registered dietitian whose mission is to bring tangible tips for you to build the ideal relationship with your body. I'll be sharing principles to connect you back to your natural state of being. We will honor emotions and create conversations that will allow your nervous system to relax. Throughout the episodes, you will develop an understanding to what your body is truly telling you. I'm so grateful you're here. Be sure to subscribe. Now let's get to the show. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have a really exciting episode planned. I have our first podcast interview. So it is with Jessica Dennis. I will have her share more about her, but how we connected was on Instagram and we had such an authentic connection that I really wanted to bring this podcast episode to you guys. So Jess, welcome to the podcast. I'm so grateful that you are here and you are our first of many, I'm sure. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So I kind of just want to open it up to have you share more about like who you are and your journey. And then we'll, well, I'm sure we'll get into all the meat and potatoes. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for having me. This is fun. I love this. It's fun when you take like an online connection and like take it one step further. So I'm all about this. So thank you for having me on because I am just very grateful. Um, Okay. My background, I live in Wisconsin. Um, I was born here, raised here. I went to college here. I married my high school sweetheart. We actually met in middle school. We did not date in middle school, but I will tell you from the, the minute I saw him, I just knew he was my person. Um, it hasn't been though, like just one steady line in that direction. We've had a lot of ups and downs. We've been married now for 15 years. We have three kids. We still live in Wisconsin. We're in the process of building our dream home right now. Um, but we've just had like, I don't know, like a really exciting, like mostly good life together. I graduated from college in 2005. I have two degrees, one in Spanish and one in communication. So like whatever you want to do with those, they're like the most general degrees you can imagine. You kind of have to create your career. So I went out into the work world right before the recession. I was like really getting into my career. I worked for a full service marketing agency in 2008 when the recession hit. And unlike today where the world is your oyster and you can basically pick any job you want, back in 2008, you couldn't find a job even if you wanted to work for free. Like there was nothing. I tell people all the time, I would have worked at Starbucks if they were hiring, but nobody was hiring. So I was 25 years old and because there weren't any other options, I started my own company with somebody that I worked with at the time. We started a public relations firm um, and then we also specialized in social media. I ran that company for three years. I didn't love it. I found that I, I loved entrepreneurship. I loved running a business. I loved figuring all that out, but I didn't love the social media PR space. 
So I left that company. I've gone through a lot of different transitions. Today, I've run seven different companies in all different industries, including that first public relations service business. Um, I had a stint in direct sales. I've been in vacation rentals. I've been in technology, um, all kinds of different things. And so fast forward today, I'm in kind of a new iteration of my career. I feel like I've taken a lot of different turns here, but the undercurrent of all of them has been in entrepreneurship. I see business as like figuring it out. It's like a puzzle. Like, how does the business actually work? How does it make money? How does it sustain itself? Um, but my most recent adventure is actually in sobriety. And that's how we connected um, back in, it started around 2020. I just started to focus in on alcohol. There was like this little voice inside of my head that said, I just know that this thing isn't serving me. Because I'm big in the business world and entrepreneurship, I do a lot of personal development. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I read a lot of books. And I would hear over and over again that these high performers would reevaluate their relationship with alcohol. And I just always knew that there was something in that for me. You know, growing up in Wisconsin, it's definitely a cultural thing. I saw it modeled when I was growing up. And I just assumed I'd always be a drinker because I didn't know there was another choice. And so in 2020, I was a daily drinker. And then the pandemic just like made it worse. Like I, like a lot of people found myself at home in the monotony of being at home. I had two kids that I was actively doing at home school for that were school age kids. And I had a newborn that was born at the end of 2019. And the way I dealt with all of that stress was with alcohol. Mm -hmm. So coming out of 2020, I just realized like this was something I really wanted to figure out, but it was hard. Like at that point, I definitely had a strong habit around drinking. Um, alcohol is an addictive substance. So there's definitely an addictive quality to it. But I knew that my drinking wasn't to the point where I needed to seek like something like AA, which thank goodness it's there for anyone and everyone, you know, anybody and everyone who needs it. But that wasn't me. And I knew it wasn't me. But I did realize I had a strong habit around it. And I had a lot of association, associations around it. So I used alcohol for a lot of things. I used it to unwind. I used it to celebrate. I used it to connect with people. And it was getting curious about this and trying to figure out like, wow, where did this come from? And how did this infiltrate all these different pieces and parts of my life? I spent the next couple of years just really like diving in deep and trying to figure that out um, all, up until September 25th of 2022, last year, when I just decided I just want to be a non-drinker. I want to be done. I don't want the substance to play a role in my life at all. And that can seem like a really extreme decision for some. But for me, I looked at it like I spent the last 20 years as a drinker. I wonder what it would be like to be a non-drinker. Like, what does that life look like? I didn't even know. I didn't have many, if any, friends around me who didn't drink. You know, I didn't have those influences. And so for the last almost 11 months now, I have been kind of uprooting my life and surrounding myself with people who don't drink and putting myself in circumstances where I don't drink and just getting curious about 
really the sober curious world. And I've been actively sharing that journey through social media. And where this goes, I don't know. I'm fully in process, but I really enjoy it. I will say it will change everything. It's wild because it was one part of my life. But when I knew that I wanted to change my relationship with alcohol, it was like infiltrating lots of parts of my life. I'm somebody who has a predisposition to uh, depression and anxiety. In fact, with the birth of all three of my kids, I was in that postpartum state. I was on medication. I thankfully don't take medication consistently if I'm not postpartum, but I definitely have a predisposition to it and alcohol makes it way worse. Mm -hmm. So the way that plays out for me when I was drinking was that I just always felt like this low level hum of anxiety and always questioning like my value, my worth, where I'm going. And there's just so much clarity now that it's gone. Like even I don't 100% know where I'm headed and what this looks like, but I also have total peace about it. Like I don't have this anxious buzz that I lived in for as long as I can remember. Yeah, I can resonate with that. Like I think I never really thought, I mean, I I know I had anxiety obviously. And I, you know, so I stopped drinking in December, kind of similarly, just like, I don't know where, where I really want to go with this. I just have a pull and I know it's not like it, my lower self pulling me to do this and, and however it turns out, but I definitely can relate to even having like one drink and having that depletion the next day, causing the feelings of even more anxiety. And it's like, well, I have anxiety at baseline. Like, why am I trying to do anything to exacerbate this when it's already there normally, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And as you were talking about your story and I mean, you're so well thought out with like, even in your writing and your newsletter, like you're so consecutive and how you kind of tie everything together. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with your own inner awareness and reflection on yourself but you have a lot of resilience in your life. Mm-hmm. And have you noticed that like, maybe maybe all of everything you've kind of gone through in your life, how, how has that served you with your sobriety journey? Mm. I've never had anybody point that out. Thank you. Um, it's so funny because I feel like, you know, when you look at something like resilience, like did I always have it or has it been developed? Because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things looking back that I can say, wow, um, I know for sure when I was starting my career in 2006 and barely had my feet underneath me when 2008 happened, that is not how I wanted it to go. But I had to get creative and figure it out. I remember thinking to myself at 25 years old, well, I could stay here with this company I'm working with and work for free because at that time... People were, they were cutting salaries. People were working longer hours. Like it was just, your time was less valuable because business businesses just couldn't pay for your time. And so I thought I could stay here and work for free or I could go out on my own, still work for free because I'm not gonna be able to pay myself. 
but I could figure out how to run a company because somewhere in the back of my mind, I wanted to do that. I wanted to run a business and I just thought, well, right now I could do that and still work for free or I could be working for someone else and work for free. And I decided to try to work for myself. And I took out a $10,000 loan from my dad and paid it back in 10 months with interest and worked for free that way. And there's, I just, I feel like, okay, Marie Forleo has a great book that has, it's called Everything is Figureoutable. I think that's what it's called. That's definitely like the premise behind the book. And I think about that all the time because I absolutely believe that. Like I do believe everything is figureoutable. Even if we can't initially see it, it's there somewhere if we ask the right questions and if we're willing to ask other people for help. Yeah, that's so good. That is such a good book. Thanks for sharing that. I'm for sure going to have to check that out. Because as you were talking, I'm like, it almost sounds like a lot of inner confidence. Like just having this morning when I was journaling, I was thinking about like, why is my go-to sometimes always self-doubt, right? Like doubting Mm -hmm. capabilities. And I had a call yesterday with someone who was like, I just don't know if I can do this. Like talking about an intuitive eating journey and leaving diet culture behind. And it's like, why do we go in this self-doubt? So I'm wondering on the topic of that, as you were talking, your, I don't know if this is true, but on the outside, it kind of seems like you're like, I'm going to figure it out, right? Like I have the capacity and the capabilities to figure it out. So I'm just going to figure it out. Has it always been like that? Or is there something, how did you, how does that come about? Yeah, great question. I think there's always been a piece of that in me because my parents will tell stories about me when I was a kid and they would tell me not to do something and I never listened. Like, I, so for any of the parents out there, I have one myself. I have an 11 year old who does not listen to me. She is very headstrong. And I think all the time this will serve her well. Right now it'll drive me crazy, but it will serve her well. So I think there was always a little piece of it in me, but I will tell you, as I've gotten older, it's been harder to tap into. Like I actually found it to be easier to access when I was younger. And I think because there's a lot less at stake and we have a lot less baggage. Like as we go through the years, we carry a lot more with us. And sometimes those things can hold us back. And so I've actually had to like coach myself in situations to like, just take us one step. So there's a couple of things I think all the time. One of them is why not me? If someone else could figure this out, why can't I? Mm-hmm. If there are other people living a life of sobriety and they're thriving, why can't I? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, so I always ask myself that question and immediately I'm like, no, I totally can. Even if I don't know what it looks like or I don't know how to get there, I know that like, so it starts with that belief. Like I know I can, even if I don't know how. And then the next thing with that how part is like, I don't have to know everything, but like what is one step I could take that would just help me move one step further? So I'll give you a very a very tactical, tangible example. When I decided on September 25th, that morning, that I didn't want to drink anymore, I had no idea how I was going to do that. I had taken breaks from alcohol in the past, um, but I always went back. Like I knew I had not made that mental transition, 
but I knew that a part of the process was just abstaining from alcohol. And so when I decided that morning, I didn't know what I was doing, but I decided to go for a walk. Um, and so I put in my AirPods, I put on my walking shoes and I grabbed my dog and we went outside and we went for a walk and I listened to a sobriety podcast. And then that helped to set that day up for success. It just gave me a little bit of confidence that morning that like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how this is going to go, but that helped. And so that day was still hard, right? There were still triggers that afternoon. There were still, I was still in the habit of drinking. Um, but I did that then the next day and then the next day and then the next day. And so over the last almost 11 months, I've walked every single day for about a, a mile and a half for 30 minutes. And I've always, I just, that was like one tangible step forward that I could take while then I started to figure things out along the way. Yeah, it's so good. It reminds me, I was just recently on a podcast um, being interviewed and I, it's the, the lady had said, if you want to, you are your highest self. It's just you making action every day to be that person. So you made the decision, like I'm going to make the decision and, and this can happen in anything, right? Yeah, I want to be something. I want to do something different. I don't like where I am. So making the decision and then every day taking an action and the how kind of starts to just come to you or you're developing the how in the process of your journey almost. Mm -hmm. And I will say like in that, you know, that day one of taking a walk, things felt good for 30 minutes when I was walking. Right. And then you come home and it's not like, it's not like the highlights in the movie, you know, where somebody's going through this like really difficult journey and they have like this great music in the background and you're seeing all the, like they're working hard and they're doing this stuff. Honestly, what growth looks and feels like for anybody who's walking through it is like, you might have 30 minutes where you're like, okay, I can do this. And then you might hit the next 12 hours might be, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But then like the next day, it's like, okay, that 30 minutes felt good. Do that again. And then maybe instead of 30 minutes, it's an hour, right? Mm -hmm. And then the next 11 hours are like, I don't know if I can do this. It's back and forth. I still have, like, it's constantly a push, pull, push, pull, but leaning into like, what is one step I can do today that just helps me move me closer to that goal? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We had talked, um, on the messages, like on Instagram, and you had mentioned that you, you had connected with like, I don't know if it was a nutritionist or someone who, or dietitian or something who was using food in this way to help this. I love this idea because it really encapsulates the gentle nutrition of intuitive eating. That's really using food for a, a purpose. I can you explain your experience with this and more about it? Yeah. So this is super, super funky. I'm so there's a someone on Instagram I follow named Brooke Scheller and she runs what's called functional nutrition. She's she actually just wrote a book. It's in pre-launch launch phase right now, and it'll be coming out, I think at the end of this year. And it's essentially using nutrition to support your sobriety goals. This was not a concept that I was familiar with when I started out on this journey, but when I look back, I can see that it was a, a big part of it. 
So I wasn't familiar with this concept. I didn't know I was actively doing this. However, I was working with uh, a nutrition coach to start to like work on my nutrition because simultaneously in my sobriety journey, I was also going through like a hormonal journey where I was getting my hormones tested. I was testing for different allergies because I just didn't feel good. Like not only was this a sobriety journey over the last couple of years, this was also just like a, I don't feel great. Like I don't have the energy I used to have. I'm carrying extra weight on my body that I don't feel like I should be carrying. And it, it felt much more than just like, well, I'm approaching my forties. I've had three kids. Like I didn't want to use that as an excuse. Like I wanted to feel good. And I knew that I, somewhere I knew I could, I just didn't know how. So tangentially in this sobriety journey, I was also working with this nutrition coach and we were working on the basics, right? Like we were working on proper hydration. We were working on macronutrients. And what I like about macronutrients is that you really can't get it through packaged food or you really have to focus on whole food nutrition. And so like, I don't care what plan you follow, like that's just good advice for anybody, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so you're getting your carbohydrates through like fruits and vegetables versus getting it through pastas and breads. And, and those things are not bad. Mm -hmm. um, they can be a part of it, but we're re really looking at whole food nutrition. In that process, we're prioritizing protein. Um, and we just like, over time, I started this journey in the beginning of 2001, really focusing on nutrition. And over time, it has radically changed my body composition. And I think it played a huge role in my sobriety journey. And so when I was later introduced to this idea of functional nutrition to support your sobriety efforts, it was just like a light bulb. Like it just made sense to me because some of her core tenants are focusing on like hydration. It's focusing on protein. And she talks about why protein is important. I don't know the ins and outs of all of it. Um, but it, okay. So what was so fascinating to me after the fact was that you can look at sobriety like I did for a number of years and think, if I just stop drinking, then I can get a handle on my nutrition. I can get a handle on, you know, whatever it, my career aspirations. I can get a handle on insert whatever the dream is, right? And I thought the key to unlocking all of that was getting a handle on sobriety mm -hmm. or my my relationship mm -hmm. with alcohol. Mm -hmm. What I have since learned is that it, a lot of times that's the hardest piece for people is to like stop drinking. It's actually very hard just to stop doing something. We're a lot better as humans at doing things. I mm -hmm. give me a to-do list, don't give me don't give me a to-don't list. Mm -hmm. And so because anytime somebody says, "Well, don't do this." It's like that's all you can think about. Don't drink, don't eat sugar, don't, right? It's like that's yeah. all I want. So give me the to-do list. Well, the to-do list is move your body for 30 minutes a day. Right? Like feed your mind with things that inspire you. So whether that comes through an audiobook or a podcast, feed your body with whole food nutrition, focusing on the macronutrients. Like I can do that list. And it was through doing that list that it actually made the one thing that I wanted to change easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, 
I can resonate with that. Like even going and learning like simple nutrition advice is always like, like in clinical, if I'm going to go in and give someone who just had a heart attack, I would never be like, don't, don't eat salt. I'd be like, add this instead, right? Like you can use lemon or citrus or something to give that a taste. And it, it resonates really, because I mean, like you said, it's so easy to, to do focus on something instead of nothing really. Um, did you notice in your sobriety that like any, anything that came up with like body image stuff or, um, you know, nutrition things, did anything come up harder since you weren't drinking anymore? Um, so what's so interesting is, okay. So I remember like the first two months of not drinking, it was all about the alcohol, right? Like it was all about just avoiding alcohol, like noticing the trigger and then working through it. Right. So maybe it was like going to a restaurant and a restaurant that I used to drink at and then feeling like, wow, okay. Like I'm physically reacting to this. I really want to have a drink. And then just letting that pass, like noticing it, sitting with it and then letting it pass. That was like the first two months is it was all about alcohol. It was all about avoiding alcohol. And then it got easier and easier and easier until I remember a moment where I was like, holy crap. It was all about the alcohol when I was trying to avoid alcohol just so I could get days under my belt. And then it flipped and it wasn't about alcohol at all, mm. where I would still have the triggers but I started to, I started to notice the things under the triggers, mm-hmm. right? So it was, I went to a concert pretty early on in sobriety and I wanted to have a drink at the concert. And I was like, okay, this is interesting because I also don't drink the things at concerts. Like I was a wine person and that's basically it. Mm-hmm. I did occasionally enjoy margaritas, but I was mostly just wine. So I was like at the concert, like, wow, what would I drink at this concert? Like a seltzer? That is not my thing. Like I would literally be drinking only for the purpose of alcohol. So what is this? And I noticed like, oh, I want to fit in. Mm -hmm. I want to be liked. I want, and I watched other people. You become very observant when you're not drinking. Mm -hmm. And I noticed other people, like other people feel the same way. Like when the music, like when there's a song that comes on, people get really loud and they like are making big motions. And it's, it's because we want to fit in. We want the community. We want to want to be liked. We want to be part of something. I drank because that's uncomfortable. Like it's uncomfortable to feel like, oh, I'm kind of at the end of the row. I don't really know if I fit in. I'm definitely not like the cool girl in the middle. Like, I don't like this. I feel a lot of tension. And so it's one example of so many where I was like, oh, yes, this is not about alcohol. I can see where I see where this started. So, yes, in the beginning, it's all about alcohol. And then it has nothing to do with alcohol. And I actually very much preferred when it was about alcohol. It was very (laughs) simple. Everything else is much more complicated. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of 
like the food journey, like, and I think this is like, I seeing all of it and kind of your experience with it was one thing that really wanted me to connect with you because one, I, I can resonate with your journey, of course, but two, I'm like, this is such a tangible experience that a lot of us can relate to in saying like, you know, because we don't need alcohol, right? So it's like, how do you do the same thing with food when you need food? And I, a lot of the times I notice where we're, we all think it's about the food, but I'm like, it's it's how we are coping with the food that's going on. And, and exactly what you said is almost to a T, the food journey. Like when I have clients that come in, they're like, I have a food addiction. I'm like, okay, this is going to be interesting. Because I know I'm like, it's not the food. <laughs> like there's something underneath it. So um, yeah, it's really good. I wonder how how has it gone with, boundaries because as you were talking it almost Mm -hmm. sounds like a lot of stuff has been found like learning boundaries maybe or understanding understanding the difference like even when triggers come up like it's not really about alcohol it's actually because I don't want to be on the end or I feel left out or whatever and to me I talk a lot about inner child have you have you done inner child or no okay so um how has that, how has that resonated with alcohol journey and maybe seeing your inner child come up or anything that you want to experience, like relate on your experience with boundaries or inner child healing? Yeah, I think, I don't know how it works with everything, but with alcohol, the boundaries in the beginning are really firm. They're really solid. And a lot of times, um, well, they're there to protect you. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the beginning, they're, they're really, they're in really reinforced. And so like in the beginning, I didn't do a lot of the things that I used to do. I didn't, I didn't hang out with the same people. I didn't go to the same places. I like had to avoid all of it. So I was kind of a hermit. And a lot of people who stop drinking will say that same thing. Like they meet their strong boundaries with people and activities And those kinds of things, because you're really just focused on like protecting yourself in the sobriety. And then as you get your feet underneath you and you get a little bit more comfortable, those boundaries can like loosen up and they can become a little bit more relaxed. I still, it's really fascinating because I have different boundaries today, or I should say I have boundaries today. I didn't have, you know, these boundaries before, um, I really notice things about myself and I know myself in different situations now where I recognize when I want to leave or I'm uncomfortable or like whatever it is that I was looking for has, has come and it has gone and I am also good to leave. Mm -hmm. And I listen to that now and I don't put myself in situations or keep myself in situations that are just not healthy for me. And I did before. And a lot of, a lot of people do a lot of people use alcohol because they're violating some kind of a boundary that they need in order to protect or take care of themselves. Yeah, I can, I can resonate with that for sure. It's, it's like, there's a reason why we're trying to numb in some sort of way. And, Mm -hmm. and it could be, you know, food, whatever, but we're numbing it because the boundary was crossed. Mm-hmm. And even if it's like, I mean, I love the, I love how you were brought awareness to wanting to stay too long. Right. And even knowing like, oh, and it's switched and I'm ready to go. And then respecting yourself in that mm-hmm. same, in that um, space. I'm curious to know, I, I have 
through inner child healing, I've kind of played with like, I don't have kids, but um, seeing kind of how kids become safe as you start to become more solid in your own safe um, security and protection within yourself. How has your kids responded to your sobriety? Oh my gosh. You know, what's crazy is I, if we had had this interview a year ago, I would have told you that my drinking doesn't affect them. Like it, my drinking wasn't, the older I got, the less excessive it was. There was definitely a season in my life where it was excessive, hands down. Mm -hmm. Um, But the older I got, the less excessive that it was and the less like quote unquote dangerous, you know, like I was at home for the most part, like it would just be me and a bottle of wine on the couch. Like what, what could go wrong here? Mm I didn't think it affected them, but we have had conversations since. And I specifically recently asked them like about the difference, like, oh, I don't remember what the exact conversation looked like, but it was something along the lines of me saying like, well, you know, do you guys know, like, is there a difference? And they, I was shocked by their response. They were like, oh yes. I know. And I was like, kind of taken aback by it. Like, what, what do you mean? Like what? And they're like, oh yeah, no, you're totally different. Mm. You're totally different. And they were so over the top about them. Like, well, okay. All right. Like calm down. What? I'm, I think that I'm, let's tread lightly. I feel a little sensitive around this. And they're like, no mom, you're so different. You're just like, you're fun. You're careful. You're, I don't think they use the word carefree you laugh, like you just don't take yourself so seriously. They, yes, it's night and day difference. And what's wild to me, because I'm the person going through the transition, I didn't think it was that different. Yeah. But I still, like any parent, like lose my mind. You know, I still lose my temper. I still do things that I'm like, wow, (laughs) wow. Like that wasn't my best self. I think I need a timeout. I'm not quite sure what just happened there. <laughs> I kind of lost it. Um, we still definitely have those moments, but honestly, like I am gentler even with myself and I'm quicker to apologize. I cool down a lot faster. Yes, I do think that creates a safer environment. I grew up in a household with two drinking, daily drinking parents, Mm -hmm. uh, parents who drank daily. Um, And my entire life was, that did affect me. Mm -hmm. Like kids are smart. They know, like there is a safe zone with a parent who drinks when they're, you know, a drink or two in before they're a drink or two too many. Mm-hmm. And I had a, I had a great childhood. I had a, I had a safe childhood, but I knew, and I knew it, and I think they did too. Like kids are very perceptive. We don't give them enough credit. Yeah, I can. I can. I think that's kind of probably where the question came from because I had two drinking parents as well, and I, you know, you just know. Like it's like uh, kids have this intuition where they haven't yet been what I think is like, they haven't yet been conditioned out of their own inner knowing. And so they just, they know things, you know, they know the truth and they know they can sense their environment. And so I feel 
they they're sensing your boundaries almost too, right? Where they're like, oh, mom is, and you're you're settling into your being almost. So I mean, it's kind of as if I had to relate it back to you, like hearing your story. It's like you sound really secure in yourself. And kids are like, oh, well, this is, you're safe and secure within yourself. I feel safe around you, mm -hmm. which is great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And, and I can say too, like kids, they get it. And also you get it when you become a non-drinker. I see it. I watch it. Um, when somebody, there's just the physiology of it. When somebody has a drink, we're flooded with dopamine. and so. <laughs> When someone has that first drink for about 20 minutes, there is a euphoria about them. They're happy. They're um, a little carefree. They're light, right? And then it it's about 20 minutes and then it wears off. And they usually go for the next drink. And over, like just in the span of an hour, you'll watch someone go from euphoria, just like a, just happy, just carefree to shorter uh it's gone you watch the light go away and it's so quick and then they're just snippier shorter uh it's just gone and it happens so fast and i see it now mm -hmm. and i'm curious about it because i know i experienced it part of the reason i want to change my relationship with alcohol is because i was a drinker for 20 years and like alcohol is, it was progressive. And so I drink more and more and more. And I no longer got the same high at the end. Like, I remember I was just like chasing something that I could never achieve. And I just like, was like, it's broke. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't work anymore. But I felt simultaneously lower and lower and lower all the time. Not just when I was drinking, but all the time. And I just intuitively knew that I knew it was alcohol and I knew that that I it was off. Like I wasn't supposed to be this low all the time. Even with that like predisposition towards depression, I just knew it was off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Almost like I, I for me it's like just stuffing something down, right? Like we can't really like polish something because there is like other I can resonate with like there is other stuff going on. You know, and it's not necessarily about the alcohol, it's how we're dealing with it. And we're not dealing with all this other stuff. So when you deal with everything else underneath, that's how you start to polish your being mm -hmm. and 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 become more radiant, right? And and really own yourself and find your true self and your own authority. And ever, you know, of course it's not easy ever <laughs> to polish all that, but um worth it nonetheless, for sure. Um, I could keep talking to you forever, but, um, I want to respect your time and kind of wrap it up here. I want to give you an opportunity to, you have a great newsletter. Um, if anyone who's kind of here listening, I, I want you to kind of share a little bit about the newsletter, um, may, maybe how you started it, whatever you want to share. And then we can link it in the show notes for people to find. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Um, I appreciate you giving me that, that opening for it because I forget to promote it. I forget to talk about it. It's like this, because it also feels like such, it feels like this little project that truly helps me as much as I think it helps other people. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm glad you brought it up because, so my newsletter is called life after alcohol. And I started it at the end of March 
And it comes out, it used to come out three times a week. Now it's twice a week. That feels a lot more manageable. So it'll probably be the schedule moving forward. But it's essentially just like my experience walking through this journey of sobriety. I say all the time that, you know, if you go on Instagram, you'll see the before and you see the after and we never get the in between. Mm -hmm. This is my in between. It's the real, it's the thoughts, it's the hard, it's the good, it's ever it's anything that I'm going through. And it's just straight content. It's just straight copy. It's exactly what my experience is. And I have a lot of people who will respond to me about it. If something like hits them that day that they're like, thank you, I resonate with this totally. And it's just nice to see our story reflected back in somebody else. But what's been so interesting to me is a lot of people subscribe to it. A lot of them that don't even struggle with alcohol. One of my most popular like audiences, if you will, is people with food addictions because oh. there's so many similarities. Like mm-hmm. I can even say like, even though alcohol is a, it's a highly addictive substance. I personally was not physically dependent on alcohol. I did not have to receive physical treatment for alcohol. What I struggled with was I was using it to numb. I was using it to stuff. I can really relate to what you're saying about like this, like bottomless, like more, I needed more. I remember just drinking alcohol fast. Like I wanted it. I just remember feeling like I wanted to stuff it in there. There was something I didn't want to come out. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a lot of anger that I had to let out and let Dan to deal with. We know that anger is a secondary emotion. Um, there was a lot of sadness. There was a lot mm-hmm. of stuff that I've worked through. I don't think we're ever done. I mean, I'm still, I work with a therapist, a counselor, a coach, all it wrapped up in one. Um, I just saw her this past week. Um, it's an active process. We're always going through stuff, you know? And so I was using alcohol as a way just not deal with all of that stuff. I was also using alcohol to quiet that inner voice that was like trying to tell me like, you're not supposed to be here. This environment, you're not supposed to be here. You're not. I just knew that I was, I wasn't listening to her. Mm -hmm. I wanted her to be quiet because quite honestly, if I had to listen to her, it would change my whole life. And I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to fit in. I wanted to be liked and I wanted to have friends. But unfortunately, I was sacrificing a lot of things in order to get those things. One of the things I love the most about your newsletter is that it's like it feels like a journal entry. Yeah. And I think you had I think you had said that in one of them, but it feels very it is very personal and it feels very personal which is why it's so relatable, really. And even on the topic of the food, I think that's what's happening. Like any sort of something that we're consuming, uh, this is my belief, whether it's alcohol, whether it's food, that act of stuffing someone down, it to me, I'm like, it's the inner child that we're stuffing down. And it's because we have to go through, you know, the anger and the fear and the shame and the sadness to own who we really are. And a lot of the time it's not who we're conditioned to be or the thing, like then there's the diet culture piece and all of this. So yeah, I I really enjoy, I enjoy reading your newsletter, which 
I don't, I can't say that about a bunch of like emails that we get overwhelmed with, you know, but um, it's always right on point, like everything that you're going through. And it's been fun to follow you in your stories and then see like, I'm like, oh, I can see, you know, like, oh, the vacation when on 4th of July and then the newsletter came out, it, it gives you us an idea of like, oh, we can see that. But then you give like the behind the scenes, right? So you're almost doing both. Now that I say this, it's almost like you are doing the highlight reel, but then your newsletter is like, it's not what you see, think it was, you know, which is, it's yes. good, it's fun to, to yes. be a part of it. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, and you're open, you know, which I think at least right now where I am, like, I want this transparency in people. Like I'm really liking seeing people's vulnerable sides and being transparent and being in the the muck with people um, because it's not what we thought it was. Like the highlight reels are not real. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I am only interested in like deep, honest conversations. Yeah, we do. That's it. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, God, can't we just talk about the weather? I'm like, why <laughs> does it always have to be so deep? But uh, yeah, I'm like, I just can't. I'm not here for it. But I love it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, wrapping it up, I just want to ask one question that I'm going to be asking everyone. Um, thinking about like health and wellness as emotional, mental, and physical, is there is there three things that you do every day that keep your those three aspects of your health and wellness feeling as stable as they can in this mm -hmm. day? And what are they? Yeah. I am a creature of habit. I really like routines. I thrive in routines. Um, I also love exploration and spontaneity, but within like my routine. So mentally and spiritually, I wake up every morning and I read the Bible. So I'm actually going through it for the second time. Um, and it has grown my faith tremendously. And I find that both spiritually and mentally, it has challenged me in such a good way. I'm also an avid reader. I'm a writer. So of course, I love to read. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I will tell you in my sobriety what has been interesting. And I never noticed this before I stopped drinking. Is there's like a threshold for taking in information and I can feel it like when I'm done and I'm like, oh, OK, that's enough. Um, nothing like that's enough because what's interesting is, and there's like this little voice that comes in. That's like, you should be doing more. You, sh the shoulds, right. All of that. And that's when I realized like, yep, you've overdone it. You've taken in too many podcasts. Like now it's time to listen to music. And so I really do prioritize that like creativity in the music. And I really prioritize trying to create as much as I consume. That's a new balance for me that I, that has, I have found that mentally and spiritually is really healthy. Mm -hmm. um, and then physically two things, I try to move every day for 30 minutes. That typically includes either walking or lifting weights. Mm -hmm. Like those are my two activities now. So I try to move for 30 minutes and I really try to focus on whole food nutrition. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not always tracking what I eat. I did for a long time because I really believe if you don't track it, you can't change it. So that was true for me with sobriety and it's been true with food. Um, 
it, I needed to track the days that I wasn't drinking to really know, like, am I moving in the direction of my goals or not? Mm-hmm. Um, with food, I needed for a long time, I needed to track like what I was eating to just know, like, okay, are we super carb heavy or are we like a lot of times we're not getting enough protein. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it, it was like, just also with fiber, like where are we at with those kinds of things? So like tracking that stuff was really helpful. Mm-hmm. And now I don't track as much, but I do focus on whole food nutrition and trying to like prioritize protein and hydration. Those two are, if I'm going to track anything, those are like probably my two big ones. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the cool thing lately that I've just been thinking about is like everyone's health and wellness journey looks different for them. Right. So tracking for you might be great. Other people it's obsessive. And so it's really understanding like what works for you and what your goals are. And I think the biggest thing that I have taken away from kind of our conversation has just been every single day doing one thing that leads you to your goal, whatever that is, however that looks and really prioritizing that on your journey. And letting that be enough. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Right? Like my one thing for a long time was just don't drink. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned it's hard to do the don't list, mm-hmm. you know? So I really had to focus on the do list. Like, okay, so if I, if I, my one thing is not drinking, then I need to make sure I take that damn walk every day because I know that it helps brings up my endorphins, helps me feel good, feeds me mentally because I'm hearing a podcast. I know I'm not the only person in the damn world who's trying to do this, you know, because I'm hearing somebody else's story. I got to work on, a lot of times we're just damn thirsty. So like drink some water, you know? So it's like, I focused on the to-do list, but it was all in service of that one thing I was trying to accomplish. Yeah. Which was changing sure. my relationship with alcohol. Awesome. Well, Jess, thank you so much for coming on. It was such a pleasure. I loved hearing your story. And we'll link the newsletter below. So if anyone wants to kind of follow your journey as well or resonates with it, they can follow you along there. I love it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate this. Yeah, of course. If you are ready to take your relationship with yourself and food to the next level, I invite you to apply to my physical decoding program. In my program, I help women release the confusion, judgment and comparison they feel with themselves. They learn to empower themselves using food in a way that aligns with their lifestyle. Through my program, they learn emotional regulation, how to honor their physical needs and respect their body, all while continuing to enjoy life and food at all the parties and events. You can grab your spot by clicking the link in the description below. I'm honored to help you feel loved and accepted in your body now.